Tor, so good to have you here. Connect Church Fun Note. And uh, just so great you could be here this morning. And so uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. <laughs> Thank you, three of you. Ready? Let's start again. In the beginning. God, I know this is the first 11, 11 o'clock service. Some of us have arrived 15 minutes. Like you have, you've done it. You've done it. You've got here uh, today. But in the beginning, God. And we're talking about with all that's happening in the world, with all that's changing and lots of lockdowns and stuff still happening around the world, with all that's changing, we want to begin 2021 with that which does not. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, and I change not. God in his nature, in his attributes, in his character, no change is possible. You've got to know that today. And so we've done this series, and I say we've done it because um, this is the last part. It's not that we've covered every aspect of God's character, and there's still many more aspects that we will uh, uh, perhaps talk about over the course of the year, every now and then. But for this time, we are wrapping up this series. And why have we done this series? Simply because when we know who God is, it helps us better understand who we are in Him. We're made in His image, and when we can understand who this God is, how amazing He is, it helps us to walk out our life in Him. And so, so far we have seen that God, number one, God is eternal. Then we looked at God as all present. Then we looked at God as all knowing. Then we looked at God as all powerful. Then we looked at God as sovereign. And then uh, we looked at last week, God is holy. And today, I think appropriate, we are looking at God is love. Oh, everybody say, oh, come on. God is love. And remember, God does not have love. God does not have love. He is love. He is love. It's not something he has. It's something he is. And as Christians, understand divine love, unlike human love, is not dependent on the object. In other words, it's not dependent on how a person responds to that love. Uh, like in our, as human beings, it's like, uh, you know, if you're, you're wanting to be loving to someone and they're not loving back, we, we, how, how the object or how, how the person or whatever the, the object of that love response determines whether we will love or not in our human, human nature, but not so when it comes to divine love. Divine love, unlike human love, is not dependent on its object. And so when we think about the fact that God is love, we need to understand it's not something he has, it's something he is. It's his very essence. And I know some might go, well, hang on a minute. Pastor, didn't you say a couple of weeks ago that holiness is the very essence of God? And the answer is, yes, I did. But what you've got to understand, it's not either or, it's both and. It's both and. God is holy and God is love. In fact, one theologian, William Newton Clark, put it like this. He said, God would not be holy, and I'd even say could not. God would not be holy if he were not love, and could not be love if he were not holy. He has to be both of those things in order to be both of those things. And so 1 John 4 verse 16 says, God is love. God is love. And how do we then, as believers, as followers of Christ, how do we define this love? How do we understand it? How do we 
uh, apply it to our, our lives. Well, fortunately, Scripture is not silent on this. Scripture is not blurry. Scripture is not hard to figure out what it says when it comes to the subject of love. And uh, my challenge, I guess, today in the 30 minutes we have is not what to uh, put into this message. It's what to leave out. Uh, for there's so much content, it's like, well, I can I can say that. There are so many things I could say. So I, ha- I have to make the difficult choice of what I'm going to leave out and what I'm going to put in for the 30 or so minutes that we we have today. And I have to do that because when we think about the word love, there are so many different definitions. There are so many different meanings that one could draw, draw from. So I had to make a choice today. I had to make a decision. So, so for me, when I'm speaking of the love of God, for me, if I was to make it as simple as possible for this discussion today, for this message Today, if I was to describe it, I I would say simply this, God's love gives. If you want a picture of what God's love is like, God's love gives. It's a love that gives. And when we speak of that kind of love, the Greek word in the New Testament for that kind of love is the word agape. Agape. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard that word, but agape simply means unconditional love. It's unconditional love. And, and, and simply put, what does that mean? Simply put, it means it's, it's love without strings attached. Well, somebody should thank Jesus for that. It's love without strings attached. It's, it's love that's freely given, freely offered, and it's not based on what someone else does in return. Uh, not like human love, right? It's just like, well, I'm not going to talk to them because they didn't talk to me. Or I came into church today and that, that pastor didn't even smile at me. Or whatever it is, I'm not going to be friendly or whatever. Or, or, or what, you know, that's human love, right? That's, it's a different kind of love. That's not agape love. It's unconditional. It's not given uh, uh, like you do this and then I'll do that kind of love. It's freely given, freely offered, and it's not based on what someone does in return. And uh, my friend Anon uh, says it like this. The true measure of God's love is that he loves without measure. The true measure of God's love is that he loves without measure. Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said it like this. God's love is not drawn out by our lovableness. Now, I don't know. I've got to pause there and say thank you, Jesus, for that. Because how many know I, I am not always the most lovable person and don't look at me like that because neither are you. Sometimes we wake up in the morning, come on, if we want to be honest, and we are not the most lovable. Thank you for that hand, that one honest person uh, out there. But we are not the most lovable uh, uh, people. I mean, I woke up today totally stressed because I, I had, yeah, yeah, believe it or not, I'm usually such a picture of calmness and peace. <laughs> I really am. And, and, and I, got, I, I got up this morning stressed because we had three services. We had some technical problems. We had some issues. We got a cake. We don't set the church on fire. We've got, we've got stuff going on. Things weren't working. And, and then we had three services that we haven't done for a while, and we had to get all that. So I was a little bit of a stress bucket, and I had to have my wife. I was not lovely in the morning. And my wife had to say, stop it. Calm down. Just be, allow the peace of God to, to, to wash over you. I'm like, she was right, she was right, and, 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 I, and I carried on flustered. <laughs> I was like, we've got to get this done. 
But, 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 but thank God, God is not drawn out, love is not drawn out by our lovableness. But it wells up like an artisan spring from the depths of his nature. It's who he is. Thomas Brooks said, God's love is free love, having no motive or foundation, but within itself. But within itself. God is love. 1 John 4 verse 16. And of course, when you're looking at the context of 1 John verse 4, in which the scripture occurs, we can further again understand what this type of love is. What does it look like? What does it mean for us? Because context is important. It is when you're studying the Bible, when you're looking at the Bible, the context of a scripture is very important, especially around subjects like love, because it can mean different things to different people. I saw a a mug once, uh, it was just like a, you know, a, a gift mug you could buy, and it said this, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Yeah. And, 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 and we can make out anything we want taken out of the Bible. We can take a verse and make it say anything we want in the Scripture. So we, we've got to look around the verse to see what is it actually saying. So where it says God is love, what does it actually say? It says in First John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Now, can I just say, when it says, let us love one another, he's just repeating a command of Jesus. Jesus commanded us, love one another. It wasn't like an option. If you feel like, well, I'm just mad. You, you can't believe what they did to me. No, no, no. We have to. It's a command. Love one another. And, and can I say, that's why, why connect groups are so important. Because it's in the context of relationship that we do life together. And I appreciate the online experience and all that, and we do that for those who are unable to get here and unable to be a part of, of the service. But really, the online experience is never to be a replacement for church. It's just because you can't do life just sitting watching the TV. Uh, again, it's to do it in the context of relationship, and we can do life. How can we love one another if we're never meeting with one another? And not just here, of course, because right now we're staring at the back of someone's head. We can't do it. In a, in a connect group, we're able to connect. We're able to spend time. We're able to find out your story and, 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 and hear what you've walked through. And so, so, so that's what I'm saying. It's done in the context of relationship. So it says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And again, it's important that we point out here because some people say, well, God is love. We could just love and we love and love, love, love. That's the Beatles. That's what they said. Love, love, love. And, and, and you, you know, but we've got to understand that's a, well, it's not talking about romantic love. It's not talking about, it's important because people say, hey, remember the 60s? Uh, you know, free love and, you know, God is love, isn't he? We can do whatever. No, no, friend, that is not the kind of love. I'm just making it clear. There's a different kind of love. That's called eros love. That's a Greek word, eros, from which you get the word erotic or, or other, all kinds of things. We're not going there today. It might be a good sermon sometime. But we're talking about agape love. That's the love it's talking about. It's never talking about any kind of sexual love, right, when we're reading this, this verse. Or something, because, can I just say, Eros love takes. Oh, babe, what can you give to me? Oh, honey, or whatever. I'm, I'm not going there. It's another sermon, but I could. But I'm not going to. Stop it. And so, so, so we've got to understand that's a different kind of love. The love that's talked about here is agape love. Self-sacrificing, unconditional love. Don't mix the two up. 
They're not meant to be mixed up. It's important that you, you, you understand that this is not eros. This is agape that we're talking about. And then it says this. This is how God showed us. So then it's, it's like this is how God demonstrated to us his, his love. And so we want to know what it's like. This is how he did it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then it says in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God. It's important. Not that we have done anything that could earn the love of God. We can't do anything. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't, can't say, well, look how good I am. No, no, no. Nothing we can do can, can earn the love of God. Here it is again. This is a self-sacrifice, agape, unconditional love that God has for his people. Do we deserve it? Not really. But God gives it. This is about who he is, not who we, we are. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Someone put it like this. Divine love is no abstract theory. It is a living person. It is a living person. Who is that person? Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to picture what God's love is like? Like, look at Jesus. For the Bible says, and you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave. Not that he took. He gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. He shows us again. He demonstrates it. He gives a demonstration of it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not like Santa Claus, which, whether you're on the naughty or nice list. We're going to check out who's naughty or nice. Who's going who's to get their presence this year? Our God is not like that. It's unconditional, self-sacrificing, agape love. It is not dependent on what you do or what you don't do. It is completely dependent on what he's done. Somebody give Jesus some praise here in this house today. We thank him for what he's done. You know, the great Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, God soon turns from his wrath, but he never turns from his love. God never turns from his love. That's, that, that, that's important to know. Because you will find in Scripture, as you talk, uh, uh, talk about it, there will be places where, where the wrath of God was going to be revealed, where the wrath of God was going to come. And God relents, and God stops, and God says, no, I'm not going to do that. But he will never turn away from his love. God is always, always, in his essence, love. And that's so important for us to understand. He will never turn from his unconditional, self-sacrificing, agape love. And I, for one, am so thankful for that. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful uh, for that. Because of my life and because of the mess-ups I make and the muck-ups I do, I am so thankful for the grace of God. And I think 
when we as believers try to think about the importance of life, and, and, and we, we, we know we've got to be loving, we know we've got to be a people who walk in love, and of course different people think all kinds of different things about that, but there's no doubt love is such an important, I, I guess, a principle or ideal that we are to live by too, live by too. and it says in First Corinthians, you know, it's read out at almost every wedding, but it's really not for weddings. It's really for, for our life. You know, it says in First Corinthians 13, verse 1, if I speak in the, the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, it says I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's like that thing, especially for us as Pentecostals, what, what, what is the point? What is the point if, if we can speak in tongues but are mean in English? Come on. If we're just nasty pieces of work. We need to be a people who can walk in love. And then it tells us what love is. And love is, love is, love is patient, love is kind. And you can put your name in that place. Am I patient? Am I kind? In fact, in fact, if everybody in the church was like you, would the church be a better place? Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Pause for effect. It keeps no record of wrongs. Oh my goodness. Well, I can go back a few years. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The truth is there is more on love in the scriptures that, that, than I could do 10 or 20 sermons, sermons on. There is so much. But what we do know is that Jesus summed, summed all of this up for us. When one of the Pharisees or teachers of the law asked him, Jesus, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, you know it. This is called the Shema and for, for the Jew. This is, this is what every Jew says every morning and goes to sleep every night. This is not something Jesus has said. He's just repeating something that you'll find. He said this, love, here, it says, Hero Israel, love, the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. In other words, Jesus said, you've got to love me with everything you've got. Just love me. Whatever you, I want all of your heart, not just 50%, not 60%. I want all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of you. And then Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then it says, all the law, everything, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Like everything about Christianity, everything that's important about Christianity, hang on these two statements. So, so Jesus has taken a, a, a huge sub, subject and brought it and summed it up and said, do this. If you don't know how to do the Christian life, well, just love God and love people. I want to tell you, it'll work for you. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And I've and I got to be clear too, uh, especially in this day, in age, when it, when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, what did Jesus mean by that? Because I've heard people teach, especially in this self-centered world, or selfie-driven world that we live in, that people will say this, you know, what Jesus was saying there is before you can love your neighbor, you need to love yourself. You just need to love yourself. And when you can love yourself, you can love your neighbor. So first of all, we're gonna start with loving ourselves. Jesus was not teaching that. I'm just saying, if you're thinking that, change. That is not what Jesus was saying. He was not saying that. He was not saying, well, you just think about you first before you can love your neighbor. He wasn't saying that. Here's what he was saying. He was saying simply this. What do you do when you're hungry? I know what I, I do when I'm hungry. I go to the fridge. I, I look after number one. And as you can see, when I, I get hungry a lot. And so, 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 so if I get hungry, I go to the fridge. I, I, that's what I do for myself. If I get cold, I put on a jersey. I, I, I do what's important for myself. And so Jesus is saying here, he's saying this, what you do for yourself, you look after yourself. You're hungry, you go to the fridge. You're cold, you put on a jersey. What you do for yourself, do it for someone else. Do it for someone else. Don't try and, listen, we will never get ourselves all figured out. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just telling, we all got issues. Come on, come on, if we're, we're honest, there ain't nobody here who's got it all together. And, and, and if you have, you need to be preaching up here. Come on. No one has it all together. So, so he's, saying, he's not saying get yourself all together. He's saying, look, what do you do when you're hungry? You, you help somebody else out. Well, just do that. That's what he's saying. That's, that's the most important thing. So if we just do those, Pastor Adam, I love you. I'm just trying to help you. If we do those things, it will help us with our lives. So how far should we go with all this love stuff? How far should we go with all this agape, unconditional, selfless agape love? How far should we go? Well, Jesus has made it abundantly clear. Absolutely, we have no doubt how far we should go. And he, he made it clear when he uttered the words, love your enemy. Like, oh, man, that kind of sucks. You know, because everybody loves those who like them. Everybody, I mean, even the ta pagans and the tax collectors do that. Everybody does that. There's nothing special about that. Everybody does that. But when he said, love your enemies, well, that's a whole different level, people. <laughs> and maybe you're even thinking to people right now. You're going, oh, yeah, maybe you're even sitting next to it. Oh, no, hopefully not. <laughs> but when it says, love your enemies, Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said, Matthew 5.43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, I'm telling you, you've got to do life different. This is what Jesus said. If you don't like it, write to him, not to me. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies. Not easy. Simple, but not easy. And then he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, here's, here's what he says. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Really? Bless those who curse you. I mean, really? Pray for those who mistreat you. Yeah, pray that the thunder and lightning. No, no, that's not what it's me. 
That's not what it's meaning. It's like be nice. When you feel you shouldn't have to be nice. And I guess the struggle that we have with that is how do we, how do we love like that? How do you and I love like that in this crazy world that we live in? What does that kind of love even look like in our modern day world? Well, on October 2nd, 2006, at a religious community in Pennsylvania, an Amish community, if you know the Amish people, they ride in horse and cart and still try to live a very simple lifestyle. On October the 2nd, 2006, they had their children at their schoolhouse. It was just one classroom. All the kids met in there. There were 25 kids in there teachers in their schoolhouse just beginning their lessons for, for the day. When one Charles Carl Roberts, a married father of three, entered the classroom with murder on his mind. He had with him a 12-gauge shotgun, a 9mm handgun, a bolt-action rifle, 600 rounds of ammo, a stun gun, two knives, tools, and building supplies. You can, you can check this out. What he intended to do was abuse the girls that were there sexually and then kill them. Hmm. So Charles demanded that the teacher, Emma May Zook, take her 15 male students, a pregnant woman and three mothers and infants outside. And when they were gone, he used the tools and the building supplies to block up the doors and the windows and barricade himself inside. He then used flexi ties to tie up the children's hands and legs. Just take a moment and imagine if that was your child, if that was your daughter. The teacher ran to the neighbor's farmhouse and called the police. They arrived nine minutes later. Marion Fisher, the oldest girl who was kept in there, because you've got to understand, these girls are between 6 and 13 years old. So Marion Fisher, the oldest, pleaded, shoot me and let the others go. Her sister Barbie asked to be next. With all the police arriving outside, with all the hop cars scrambling and all the noise, with those statements being sent, this, uh, this unnerved Carl to a point where he couldn't carry out what He wanted to do, and so sum summarily began to execute the girls. He shot all 10 girls at point-blank range, several repeatedly, and then he committed suicide. Five of the girls died, five survived. A horrible, horrible story. But the story doesn't end there. Because if that person had survived, I, I know there'd be people, even here, maybe even me, who'd say, hang that expletive. And be gone. Take him out. Deserves no mercy. But here's the crazy thing. You see, the Amish, they take the words of Jesus seriously. 
And here's what they did. They, they instead of shunning, they literally attended, Amish men and women attended the funeral of their children's killer. Insisting that it was not their place to judge, judge him. Not only did they do that, the Amish also reached out to Carl's wife, Marie Roberts, and his three children. They reached out, and as you know, when things like this happen, often money floods in from any, any and everywhere to help with the family and the, the loss. And so money was coming in at a rapid rate to help the wounded girls recover. But the Amish community leaders stipulated that a fund be set up from these resources to take care of the killer's widow and his three children. I looked up an article, uh, again, just in pre preparing this, called, and it was called 10 Years On. And they were saying, this is, this is, uh, please understand, they were saying in the article, this, is, this has not been easy. That was painful, and it is painful today. We live with this every single day. But maybe this is a picture of what unconditional, self-sacrificing, agape love looks like when lived out. And you know, it's so true even for our own circumstances because Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of a son while we were, listen, still enemies of God. God demonstrated we don't deserve anything. The Bible says we were still enemies of God. We were still sinners. We hadn't got it all together. God wasn't saying, oh, you fix it all up. And then, no, no. While we were still enemies of God, Christ loved us. And if you ask me how much did he love us? He loved you this much. He died on a cross that we could know him and live in him. He died our death that we might live his life. Do we deserve it? No. But it's not dependent on the object. And the challenge for us today is believers. Like the Amish was to love those who we would not normally love. Reach out to those who we would not normally reach out to. And be that kind of church. To those who don't deserve our love, perhaps. To those who, who shun or whatever. We need to be a different kind of people. Why? Because our Jesus was a different kind of God. And so today, the challenge for us here is help us to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Amen. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I just want to give anyone an opportunity today to get right with Jesus. If you're here today and you know that you're far away from God, 
Maybe you've been trying to get to him. Maybe you've been trying. But I'm just here today to remind you, you cannot do it on your own strength. This is the gospel. It's not about how bad you are, but about how good he is. All we can do is accept that which he has done for me. We don't deserve it. He's paid the price so we didn't have to. If you're here today and you know you need to get right with God, you know your heart's beating right now. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that just says, Lord, I need to get my life right with you. Everyone's going to pray it together. But if you know that that prayer is for you and you want to be, you're saying to me, Pastor, include me in that prayer. Wherever you're sitting, would you just put your hand up right now where you are and say, please, Pastor, include me in that prayer. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? You just know, thank you. Anyone else? You know you need to get right with God here today. Amen. Slip those hands down and all together in a loud voice, everyone repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I turn my life towards you and away from my sin. Help me to follow you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be king of my life. This I ask in Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time today, as you walk out of the auditorium, the pastors will be there to give you a Bible and a little... uh, a pack that will tell gift pack that will tell you uh, about that decision that you've made. Church, can we put our hands together for those who gave their life to Jesus? Would you stand up, please, as I pronounce a blessing over you? Just put your hands out like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you.